Performance Marketing Podcast is sponsored by the Foxwell Founders Membership. If you want to be great at paid social, the Foxwell Founders Membership is perfect. It's a community of the best paid social marketers and agency owners. Ask any question and hundreds of elite marketers can work with you on it. This isn't a Facebook group with fake ROAS screenshots. These people are paid a lot of money for their advice, and with the Foxwell Founders Membership, you get full access to them 24-7. So go to foxwelldigital.com and sign up today. Hey, welcome to the Performance Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Philippou, and I'm joined today with my co-host, Nick Pooley. What's up, Nick? What's up, guys? Good to be here. Yeah, awesome to have you, Nick. Uh, Akash is camping at his aunt's house in the backyard, so he uh, will not be joining us. And Andrew is on a date with a model. So I think um, it's just me and Nick today. So today's episode is a topic that we kind of touch upon in a lot of previous episodes. And it's something that in agency consulting, I find a lot of agencies have this problem. And the problem is that they have a brand that they have to advertise for who is not very unique for their niche. They're in a very saturated niche and it's very hard to market when you're in a saturated niche. So that's a problem that a lot of agencies and media buyers and advertisers inevitably run into in their career. So knowing how to deal with it is extremely beneficial. So this episode is going to be a quick guide to how to deal with that very quickly. So the first thing you want to do, what you have to think about here is you're not really selling the product so much as you're selling the audience member or the persona or the validation of their lifestyle. And I'll explain what that means. So you don't have a unique selling point from the product standpoint, but you can have a unique audience that's underserved. And I'll give you an example. There's a lot of really good examples of brands that are extremely profitable, that are very new relatively for their industry. And it's basically the same product that you can get at Target or Walmart or Amazon. But why are they super successful? I'll give an example. One is called Black Rifle Coffee, right? It's coffee. You know, I don't know the details of Coffee Nick. Uh, you have Coffee Company. You would know better. But from my understanding, it is a coffee company where it basically it's coffee, but it's serving like the veteran community, the U.S., the Patriot community. Um, there's a similar one called Tactical Baby Gear, which I love the names because of the simplicity of it. It's literally like a baby bag or a diaper bag or a baby carriage that you wear in your chest. But it's like instead of the cute little pink or light gray color that you see at Target or Walmart, this is something like it looks like it's a military equipment. It's like the green with the straps on it uh, has like camo or something like that. It's really cool looking um, and it has like the little patches that you see people put on their military stuff. And they have like fun slogans like uh, coffee, guns, and diapers, like stuff like like fun. There's a little degree of humor that that niche deploys. Anything like guns and diapers juxtaposition um, mm. is wild in America. Um, God bless America. But yeah, you can see uh, you can see how that's so different, and it's essentially the same product, but they're crushing it in this niche. 
because they're targeting a completely different uh, audience as opposed to like the general population. So that's how they succeed. Uh, Dr. Squatch, we mentioned on every podcast because they kind of do this. Uh, I think in the 2000s, everyone growing up, they saw Axe in the Old Spice commercials. But Dr. Squatch was like the first small D2C brand with great advertising to put like just like organic soap to men who are, you know, they're trying to appeal to like sexual companionship type emotions. Uh, so that's very, very cool. And Manscaped is another one. It's like a hair trimmer, but they like, they just brand it for a different part of your body. Uh, Liquid Death is another example. There's a lot of really good examples. Liquid Death is just like sparkling water from my understanding. And it's geared, a lot of it is like these basic products geared toward like this alpha male or single guy industry, which I thought is kind of cool. Um, mm. Now we're a little biased. We are both alpha males on this podcast. Um <laughs> but uh, joking, but half joking, but uh, yeah. So we, we are these target markets or we're a little more familiar talking about this than let's say like a cosmetics company. That's why these examples come up, but they're great examples. So you might have that like a apparel company or something or that client that like you have to address. We, we Let me just start over. Like that was a long winded piece about like, the general concept, right? So you see what it is. It's the same product, but like everything about the brand, the look, the feel, the product itself, all the advertisements, they're focused towards a specific niche. So in your situation as an agency employee or a media buyer, you're like, okay, so how do I find this out? Right now we're just doing broad targeting. It's the most generic shit ever. Uh, how do I find this unique persona? So that's what we're going to dive into. And Nick, on a few episodes in the past, you talked a lot about looking at reviews and I think Reddit, Amazon. Um, can you let, go over a few details about how exactly you find those um, different reviews and stuff? Yeah. So, yeah, I think, you know, the whole uh, concept of marketing a brand or a business that sells a commodity based kind of product or, or something that's not, or doesn't have a USP is a whole kind of positioning play. Right. And so how you find those small little niche communities. And I would argue that it can't even be like a broad niche, i.e. people who like soccer, right. It has to be like a lot more niche than that. It has to be people who like, you know, I don't know, uh, futsal in soccer and uh live in switzerland it has to be that niche if you're one a bit of a startup then you can grow and once you have brand authority etc but anyway to find those like little uh pockets of of specific communities it's yeah super simple go to reddit's go to amazon's type up the keywords of and you can type up quite niche keywords like soccer switzerland and the algorithms are really good now so they'll bring up anything related to those two kind of keywords and you just have to do the work filter through and find the pockets where someone's entered either or, or asked a question around a specific product or even it, it may not be a, a product it may be just a community kind of question you get some feel of this particular community or market and then you can start to reposition your messaging to kind of align with that because essentially you're trying to align with these weird niche beliefs of the human 
uh, as opposed to those broad beliefs that a lot of marketers kind of look at. So yeah, Reddit, Amazon is really good. Um, another one is obviously uh, answer the public as a website. You just type in your keyword and it'll download a bunch of questions that people are searching on Google around that particular topic. So if I, yes. if I do coffee, um, it's going to be, you know, what is the best coffee subscription or how to buy coffee online? You actually see these questions that people are searching for, which is super insightful because people are actively looking for their, for the, for help to these questions. Um, and, and I think like public.com a N S W E R the public.com. That's it. That's nice. it. Um, and then one other place is, is Facebook groups and you can use the, the little search button because a lot of Facebook groups have a lot of posts daily, but again, you can use the search button at the top, search a keyword and you will have people asking questions or posting about those specific topics. And I would argue Facebook groups is probably one of the best examples. They, they have like so many niche communities. Like there's people who love lambs. There's a, there's a Facebook group for them. There's, I, I don't even know the realm, but I'm sure there's a lot of niche communities on Facebook, um, mm. which tells like, you know, the internet's great for this, where back in the day, you couldn't, if you like something really odd and unique, you couldn't find other people like that. But now the internet's allowed uh, you to find other people who like that specific super niche thing. And as long as you can find those people and sell something, that's, that's all you need to do. And that's what these, these D2C brands who are kind of emerging and competing with the, um, the big players like Gymshark, even I would argue at the start, they were only going towards uh, bodybuilding, which kind of Nike and Adidas, et cetera, mm-hmm. really serve. Um, mm-hmm. Gymshark were able to, you know, grow to a multi-billion dollar company. So yeah, they're, they're probably the best places. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, and like seeing in the industry, like seeing, like doing the research as if you are the target customer, where would you go to find that? Like where online? A lot of like YouTube is another good one. Yeah. Uh, the TikTok search bar lately is also a great source of uh, like the kind of video content people who like this stuff are consuming which also great inspiration for the actual creative styles and videos and hooks you want to try. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of, I would just like pretend you are the target customer. If you are the target customer, that's awesome too. Um, or ask someone, you know, who is like the target, Hey, where would you go to find this? Um, like do the actual research. A, a lot of great copy and creative. It's like 80% research, 20%, um, actual making a creative brief yeah so that's something that's very yeah, a lot of research is a very research intensive situation you'll be in but the rewards are obvious like um like i think the fastest way to do it is look for brands in the niche that are already unique and maybe they're small and maybe they're not as good marketers not as good of marketers as you so, okay, there's a million uh, coffee companies, but there's only one Patriot one. Maybe I could be another Patriot coffee company. So yeah. let me see, like, uh, let me see what their reviews are, why they like it. And maybe just being a Patriot coffee company or instead of all the, like the yoga pants niche, this is one I had specifically a lot of success with. We had a drop shipping client, just drop shipping yoga pants and, we had no success, no success. The second we started like plus size and body affirmation, body positivity angles, um, that was a huge success. 
And um, that's something where there were a couple companies, Shaper Mint obviously dominates that niche. Um, but there are a couple companies already doing it, but it's still an underserved market. That's why those companies are growing while at the time Nike was not, these companies were eating into Nike and Adidas's market share. Um, they're doing that for a reason because that's an underserved market. So as long as you, you can kind of see that in the marketplace, you can kind of see and use their ads as inspiration, use their reviews as inspiration for the actual like stories and stuff you tell in the ads, the actual, like building the persona. I would say as well, like just thinking about it, the, you know, the whole kind of fashion industry is, is this where, you know, they're all selling, you know, a t-shirt, they're all selling a jumper, like, fashion innovation from an innovation point of view, utility point of view, or a tech point of view, hasn't really advanced much probably in the last 20 years, right? Like you've got mm. some breathable stuff now, you've got some stuff, but like the t-shirt someone wore back, you know, in 1999 was probably quite similar. And so like how there are so many fashion brands, which there are, is the way they position themselves to particularly people, right? Mm -hmm. And I think this is like a, a Tony Robbins quote, but people like people who are like themselves or who they like to be. So like, if you can, you know, find people who, you know, want to be something, then you use that kind of want to be, or again, like we've just been mentioning, you find that community of who these people are and there's really niche beliefs and you essentially show that and people will resonate a whole bunch better. I'm actually reading the book, um, the power of influence by Robert Cialdini mm. and they've done multiple studies around the bias of social proof and people are a lot more likely to help people in like disastrous situations if they're if they're kind of alike so if they have similar mm -hmm. color hair or you know they're male or they're the same color in, in terms of skin and they've done multiple studies where if they're not the same, there's actually a less chance. Like certain people didn't actually help those people in disastrous um, situations because they weren't alike. So mm -hmm. it just proves the point that there's an internal evolutionary bias that we like people who are like us, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you find that via the Reddits, via the answer to the publics and all that, and really, you know, focus on that in your marketing, then you should get you know, higher, high conversion rates essentially. Um, so yeah, I thought that was quite interesting around the, the fashion, fashion niche. <laughs> yeah. Fashion is a, is a good example of that. Like in terms of what this means for your ads, like when you're looking at the different reviews or the brands or like these personas, um, you want to use the language they use. Like you want it to feel like it was made for them. So you want to say language they use that like is very unique to that group of people. Like I, I got the Black Rifle Coffee one, you can say words about patriotism and freedom that like a Starbucks or something, like a big competitor probably won't include a lot. Yeah. Um, not that it's not patriotic, not to get political, but like, like very aggressive words. Like um, I think there's a brand called Grunt Style and it's like a super patriotic brand. They have a t-shirt that just says, hold my beer, quote, George Washington. It's like this very like, funny quote that like you won't see on like a nike t-shirt or something um like nike will have like an under armor they have stuff like uh, an american flag logo and stuff but this takes it to another level like the dramatization going all in on like that niche um 
that shows like they're really researching the niche. It's not just like, oh, let's just make an American flag. Uh, that's something that it's like a humor. It's a cultural inside joke, the hold my beer joke. Um, yeah. And like the reason, you know, Adidas and Nike aren't doing that is because they realize that if they do, they're going to uh, not serve a whole bunch of their market, i.e. Mm-hmm. their mass market. You know, mm-hmm. they have to stay very like borderline on their messaging because yeah. if they don't, they're going to hurt someone. <laughs> mm-hmm. Whereas like these niche companies, I think, you know, certain ones will grow to a point where they will become broader and they'll become like a little bit more thoughtful about their marketing. I, if we put out this messaging, it might not resonate with our whole potential target audience. But right now in that like startup phase and startup, I'm saying, you know, even up to a quarter, quarter million, or no, sorry, I would say even like 500 million, like you're still not a massive, massive company like the Nike is their multi, multi-billion uh, dollar company they're the mass markets mm-hmm. right even up to 500 million i would say you can be extremely niche um, yeah. and that's what people don't think that people think you have to be very mass market you know um, mm-hmm. once you get past a million but not at all not at all yeah yeah that's another one yeah and so yeah going into when you're actually making the ads yeah use their language of course like very specific to that niche um make the images and the visuals if you have a ugc creator have them be part of that niche like um the branding, the colors you want to look, make it look and feel like part of the niche, like do that in the ads first, maybe on the landing page, if you control that part of the funnel. And if that has success and the company's very like, then you can tell the client like, Oh, can you change your website to get to serve this niche? And then like it, at that point, like if they do that, that's really good. Uh, that's a big ask for a client. But you see the point, like like do like an MVP test. And if you see you have a ton of success on the advertising side with this niche, like the client should be updating the landing page and the website to match this niche. Uh, it's to the point where like future products should be around the niche and stuff. Um, yeah. That's like an example of like really serving a niche when you're starting out super generic, you're trying to find your niche. That's how you would just do it realistically in performance marketing paid social. You said, a, you said a really good point as well. Like if you are doing UGC, uh, it's important to make the person who's doing the UGC someone who looks like the kind of market you want to target. So, you know, if you're doing um, you know, coffee for entrepreneurial women, right? You might want to do, you know, uh, kind of stay-at-home mum, right? Kind of vibe. So you want a stay-at-home mum who looks like a stay-at-home mum in your UGC creative. Um, because like we're visual creatures and if they see like scrolling through their feed, someone who looks kind of like, again, who they want to be or, or who they are, they're, they're more likely to stop. And I think that gets overlooked because, you know, put simply with our, with our Facebook ads now, our targeting isn't done on the back end. It's done through our creative. So how do you do that? You target who you would have targeted in the back end, i.e. women's, you know, 35 to 55. Instead of doing that, you keep your audience broad, let Facebook do that. But in your creative, have a woman that's 35 to 55, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, vital. Yeah. yeah. And that's a good point. The actual targeting, like, oh, well, I can't find, how do I find Patriot stuff on the targeting? Well, that's like called reverse targeting where you do a broad targeting. So you get lower CPMs, but it's content that people of your target customer would only respond to or be most likely to respond to. Now we're going to look at like, what if... 
there's another story. There's a famous story in advertising. I forgot the exact brand, but I think it was David Ogilvy. Uh, he was touring a beer facility for one of his clients and he saw they had a very complex water filtration system. And he said, you know what, we're going to make a marketing campaign about that. Now, every other competitor had a very complex water filtration system. It's like a standard thing in the industry, but no one was talking about it in their advertising. So Ogilvy was the first one to talk about it. So the perception for Ogilvy's beer brand, I think it was Heineken, um, was that, oh, they have the cleanest beer. Their water, their, they use filtered water. It's a clean beer because they're the only one talking about it. No one else is talking about it. So that's something where like, even if everyone's doing it, you're the only one talking about it. Perception is reality. People will think you're the only one who does it. So that could be with an actual product detail. That could be an actual user outcome. Um, that's pretty good. Um, another, just, yeah, you go ahead, Cooley. On that, like in terms of, you know, if you're in the beauty niche or whatever, you could be using a certain, um, you know, uh, uh, ingredient like seaweed that you can kind of position as like the natural like the hidden natural gem that no one's like using stuff like that just do the do the research again um, but there's stuff that you'll always kind of find like if we're talking about coffee you can use like we're using specific beans from a high altitude that no one no one else uses and again people don't really I guess conceptualize what that actually means or how it makes the product better but it just kind of like is positioned as either more luxurious or more utility driven, et cetera. Um, so yeah, there's, there's always ways you could probably look at uh, if you do the research and find ways to position yourself differently. Yeah. Especially what Pooley said, if you can tie that into what's in it for me, like, Oh, yeah. it's a higher altitude um, coffee that tastes better or like a, uh, that's like stronger in caffeine content or something like that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Less caffeine or, or more, more caffeine for your sip or something. Yeah. Um, like if you could tie it into, uh, I mean, that's the, that's the most important thing is tying into any detail why it's better. Uh, like the, the Ogilvy beer story is like, Oh, drinking clean beer. It's better for you. Um, you know, versus the other one. Also you're just invoking disgust in the rest of the industry, which yeah you know, if you can do that successfully, that's kind of cool. It's more of like an offensive tactic to the rest of the industry in that example. Um, another thing that you see a lot of these smaller brands do that big brands, a lot of competition just physically cannot do because you, you kind of use their strength against them here in what I'm about to talk about. And that is leaning into controversy and being controversial in your advertising. I'll give you an example. Um, this could be like how Manscaped, uh, for example, I don't know what, there are other products out there that are grooming products, but maybe there are these big corporations who have a lot of investors and stakeholders and they can't really, it might be a risk for them for PR to be, to talk about very sexual details same with dr squatch like they're in their ads they use a lot of sexual details which are very funny they use humor for it it's very funny um like dove might not be able to do that you know you see like old spice they kind of have like a funny some of these brands they have like a lot of funny details but 
most brands cannot, the ones that you see at Target and stuff, most of them cannot afford to do that. Um, if they do, it's like this big production. And from a, D or a direct response standpoint, you don't know how it's performing. Uh, so yeah, if you can lean into controversy some way, it could also mean like leaning into a political or religious or lifestyle situation. For example, for grunt style, we talked about the patriotism angle. Um, you know, every brand can be patriotic for America, but like making very like showing pictures of guns and stuff like very like up like, like showing pictures of guns and stuff. That's a very specific and today a very political point to do. So like a company like Nike or Under Armour, they can't have a picture. They can't have like a, a bunch of pictures of guns saying, come and take my firearms or something or like something like a political statement. But I mean, as you know, if you're just a person awake in America, like, like you see like people's political ideology is very on both sides of the political spectrum. They're very proud of it in many mm -hmm. cases. So my point is like, that's an angle where you could use controversy or say something that the competitor is afraid to say and that your target customer agrees with or likes. Um, yeah. I'm not saying I don't advocate any of the political points I mentioned. I'm just like, I'm just saying that is a reality of their marketing and they are a growing brand and there is a serious market for that marketing message. So that's a way you can do that. If it like, like you say, literally any product coffee, like they, you can, the same way the news politicizes everything that happens. Like, your marketing, you could kind of do that. Um, you can lean into that too. So yeah, it's, it's almost like, you know, people are going to buy the product one way or another. And mm -hmm. so when they're kind of doing their research, um, let, let's use coffee as an example as well. Like, cause people would buy a coffee. They need their coffee. Um, when they're doing their kind of research, they're looking at obviously price. They're looking at what price and what the company is aligned with and they don't subconsciously probably think you know what's this company you know uh i guess what are their values or what are their like instagram content and all that they don't consciously think of that but subconsciously it's like if they're going to choose a coffee they want to choose a good price coffee as well as one that you know resonates with how they live or what their, their core beliefs are mm -hmm. and if you can just you know be there at that time where they're looking at there then it's, it's, it's super competitive. And that's kind of all you need to do. Like we've already got product market fit here. Like we're not a new startup and, and try to test if our products, and that, that's the benefit of this. Like that, if there is one benefit, it's on, on marketing a, a product that has no huge USP and it's quite commoditized or it's, it's quite mass market is that you already know it has ma um, product market fit. So mm -hmm. how you can differentiate yourself again is, is that positioning and, and being there for that core belief of the of the human and, and just one more point like we're, we're saying it's kind of like the david and goliath like how you compete and eventually potentially become one of the big players is you find those little pain points or those little things that goliath being nikes or the big coffee companies like starbucks can't can't say in their marketing like eric just mentioned so super extreme ideologies is, is, is that essentially and if you can start doing that and building brand building community i think another core belief is like you'll be stuck with that community but i've seen time and time again where black rifle now are growing to a point where they were super patriotic and all that but now they're going to a broader point where they're just like 
you know, that they, they're dealing with Amazon they with a partnership right now. Mm-hmm. And so like, I think it's, you're never going to be stuck with that really niche niche community. It's going to start growing. You start kind of looking at other positions as well. And I think that's why people don't or are afraid to mm-hmm. be super niche and because they think, oh no, like the, the market in that community is only, you know, 500,000 people. Like I can't grow beyond that. Mm-hmm. But you'll start to see as you grow, more people come in, you can position yourself differently, et cetera. Um, yeah. So basically that's how you would approach handling a product in a very saturated niche. Find a underserved audience segment have your creatives, every detail of your creative speak to them specifically, um, use their language. Um, look at brands that are similar in this. If there is a one brand, it's not totally unique. There is one or two brands serving that underserved niche. That's even great. It, it tells you that there's something there, but it's not oversaturated yet. Mm. So that's something where you can use them as inspiration. You could their ad library, you know, copy them a bit. That's a really, really good idea. And then like talking to your client about it, just say, Hey, listen, this is a, especially if there's a, one or two brands succeeded in it, succeeding in that segment. Um, you say, Hey, this is our rationale. Um, this is, we found a couple Reddit posts and a couple of your reviews say that this is the use case that they're using. No one's talking about it in the advertising. Let's have our advertise ref- let's have our advertisements reflect this use case that a lot of people are having that no one else is talking about. That's a differentiator for us. And when you present it that way, it's a much, it's a much more palatable ask for the client than just saying, Hey, let's make an ad that just says fat truckers love this product. You know what I mean? It'll be so funny. You have to have the rationale behind it and just say, this is an underserved group that we can serve. No one else is serving it. Um, and yeah, don't be afraid to be a little controversial in the, to- in the copy, in the creative. That's a, that's a hard thing too, when you're talking to the client, like, cause your guard is up at work. You don't want to like embarrass yourself to the client by asking something weird, but you know, they're humans and stuff. Uh, the customer, especially if it's like, if you're asking them something, the customers already respond to a lot. Then it's like, and there is data and sound logic behind it. It's not that controversial of an ask to just speak the language of the customer. Um, that's just, that's how I would approach it. I've done it many times in the agency world with success. And that's something that you can do. Uh, and yeah, a lot of times it's a client that has nothing unique going on. So you can kind of throw up a Hail Mary, do something in a different niche, or you can try multiple niches say, Hey, this ad is for the Patriot niche. This ad is for the new parent niche. This ad is for the. No, I think you, I think you covered it all. I think, yeah, to, to summarize in, in a, in a sentence, it's all about positioning and community and identifying core beliefs. So yeah, that that's, that's definitely it. And I think, you know, the great marketers are able to market products that don't necessarily have unique selling propositions. Uh, and they're able to make something of it, like the David Ogilvy's, like the Claude Hopkins, et cetera. Um, if you can do that, it's a, it's a massive, massive skill. And I think, yeah, in terms of kind of telling this or try to sell it to the client, just build your narrative around why, what, et cetera. Use like every business, every business we've chatted about essentially started at a small niche. 
right? So if they're kind of hesitant to like go super niche, use that. If they're hesitant to do certain copy things, you can even use a very kind of simplistic view of, you know, if we want to be a unique business, we have to do unique things. Like it's almost like that quote of, you know, if you want to be a rich person, you can't be doing what normal people do. You can't have normal ideal ideologies. Yeah. So it's the same with business, right? You have to kind of differentiate yourself, especially in the beginning to get that kind of market share, get those sales, et cetera. Yeah. And they're going to come at you with, Hey, you know, I've never seen a brand do that in my niche. Well, that's yeah. why you should be doing it. That's not why you shouldn't be doing it. That's a great one to stick out. Flip yeah. Flip it. Yeah. And look, a lot of these, pretty much every household name brand started as some kind of niche yeah. that um, if you explained that today it would be like, wow, that's so unusual. Subaru was one. You can look up that. Um, like, like Nike was a niche that, you know, it's a sports niche, obviously, but it's not like they make every single piece of clothing on the planet. Now um, Under Armour is a very good example of the one that in recent culture, when the sports niche was saturated and they became a juggernaut brand. Uh, and yeah, you have all these other ones, Manscaped, Liquid Death, Dr. Squatch, um, tons and tons of examples, all these fast growing examples that brands you only heard about in the last few years there's a big chance they have something boom by Cindy Joseph is another one. They started, they are specifically targeting the, uh, it's a cosmetics niche. If you told someone five or 10 years ago, Hey, I'm starting a cosmetics brand. They're going to say you're crazy because that's a very saturated niche, but you know, Ezra Firestone, um, best marketer ever. He's like, Oh, we're targeting, uh, people 60 plus. And it's yeah. a different niche. There's a different lifestyle for them that, you know, these young girls have no idea about. So. Yeah. And like he, he flipped it. I think he was one of the first marketers to promote old age as opposed to kind of, um, yeah, like say, look younger. He's like, no, you're going to look older, but let's, let's make, let's make it fun. Let's make it, you know, um, something to, to look kind of forward to. And, and that was what I think made uh, mm -hmm. Joseph. That was one of the core beliefs. Yeah. And that's a cool thing about just in general, we're, I want to say we're a little off topic, but in general, like if you take someone's vulnerability and you flip it on their head to something that they're kind of, they feel comfortable in their own skin, that's a very powerful thing you can do for someone in, in life in general, not just an advert. Imagine doing that in an advertisement, you know what I mean? Um, like the hardest possible medium of persuasion. Um like a Facebook ad. So mm. you not know, like your friend saying that. So yeah, that's something. And Ezra Firestone, just a really cool guy in general. You could see like, like he's a very wholesome dude. You can see how like, oh, like he has like all, he has all these cool mantras, like serve the world unselfishly and profit. Um, but yeah, and Pooh, you said he, he was the first one to do that. He It was the first brand that I and you and I saw of doing that. Maybe there were others, but that's another lesson in marketing perception is reality. Like maybe there were a lot of competitors. Maybe there was like one or two and he knows, you know what? They're, they're kind of growing. It's a specific niche, but I bet I can outmarket them. You know, if you yeah. ask, let me ask a 60 year old person. I know, Hey, have you heard of this brand that I'm researching? No. Okay. Now I can outmarket them. Right. Like obviously that's, that's a sample size of one. That's not the greatest survey in the world, but you get my point. Right. It's not like they're this household name brand that you can't outmarket. And even if they are, you can outmarket them with controversy, things that they're afraid to do. So 
have it however way you want. You got to answer for it. So anyway, that's how you market for saturated niches. And we hope that there's a couple of takeaways you can use throughout your career as a media buyer, because you will inevitably run into a brand that you have to advertise for. And you say, oh my God, we're competing. They have nothing unique about them. What the hell are we going to do? This is what you do. Listen to this podcast. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Performance Marketing Podcast. See you next time.